Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone, human and non-human, all alike. Um, ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and uh, it's been a while since we've all talked, so uh, we have a lot of really interesting news to talk about. Primarily, we've got a whole new host in sight that looks gorgeous, but uh, Ben and I have been driving some pretty cool cars, so let's get started. Ben, where were you last week? Oh, where wasn't I? Um, I was in London, and then I was in a place called Paderborn, Germany, and then I was at the Frankfurt Auto Show, which is in Frankfurt, Germany. All right. I would love for you. Uh, well, I never think London's that exciting. That maybe I'm jaded into <laughs> maybe wow. I'm jaded like that. So let's just jump into where what you were doing in Germany because I think that's far more interesting. Let's start there. Uh, so I was in Germany with Mercedes AMG, which is not Mercedes Benz. Um, they're two separate entities basically. And Mercedes AMG has a new version of the AMG GT. The GT is their, you know, it's not the most expensive version of the uh, the most expensive vehicle in the AMG lineup. It's not the uh, most luxurious, but you could say it's kind of the soul of the company at this point. It's a. I think I think I agree with you on this. It, it's a two, uh, it's a two seater. It's yeah. a and you can get a coupe and a roadster, and you know it's it starts around 110,000 US. And uh, the full model range brings you up to just under 160,000. So you're still way below vehicles like the SL63 and 65 and and whatnot, and the, even the you know the the S63 and all of those super hyper luxury models. But what's interesting about the AMG GT is because to me it feels like the 911 that Mercedes is or the, the 911 competitor from Mercedes, and they, mm -hmm. they they haven't really had a car like that. Have they ever had a car like that, Sammy? Uh, no, not at that level. See, you could say like the, the, they used to have some really high performance, uh, coupes, the SLR McLaren, but that was a very, that was like a supercar almost. Yeah. And same with the SLS AMG, which was like, uh, a very, a very, a very thorough, a grand tour, I believe. I'm not sure if it was as track bred as this AMG GT. Well, they had a, they had a black edition that was pretty intense, but I mean, like okay. you said, you know, it, it was, it had gullwing doors and it was a very exotic it's it wasn't the kind of you know you wouldn't necessarily look at an sls amg and think yeah that's that's comparable to a 911 the, the no, 911 I, model range is so broad right that's right but uh what mercedes amg is really doing with the gt is kind of approaching that breadth of offerings that the 911 has had there's the, the base car i mean you, you have a sixty thousand dollars spread in terms of um in terms of vehicle pricing you have a hundred horsepower spread in terms of performance, but what's interesting is that at the very top end you have a track car. It, the and that's what I was doing in Paderborn was driving the 2018 Mercedes GTR, which is the most potent and uh, performance-oriented version of the car to date. And it's it, I can't remember the last time that Mercedes had a track-oriented vehicle that wasn't a supercar. And I was I was very I was looking forward to getting behind the wheel, but I, I didn't have high expectations because the GTs, it's a grand touring car. I mean, it's in the mm -hmm. name. 
Um, even though it's 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 relatively lightweight, the car weighs less than 3,500 pounds, which is a rarity in the luxury world. Wait, wait, sorry, back up. 3,500 less than 3,500. Less than 3,500 pounds. Yeah, it's uh. That's the, cool. That's pretty lightweight in that in that segment. I believe the chassis is made, or the the platform itself is 93% aluminum, and wow. they they made a big effort to try and keep the pounds off, which is you know again really separates it from the SL, which is more much more of a touring car, despite mm-hmm. having gobs and gobs of horsepower. Uh, and the GTR has all sorts of other fun stuff too. I mean, it has 577 horsepower from a turbocharged 4.0 liter V8, but it has a transaxle, a seven-speed transaxle. It has okay. a- active aero. There's a splitter on the front that actually juts out at, uh, I believe, above 80 kilometers an hour, so 50 miles an hour, to add. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much downforce is less than 100 pounds, but uh, it has active aero in the grill slats as well. It has a configurable wing on the rear. It has racing seats, all that good stuff. It has a neat little dial on the dashboard where, when you're in race mode, you can dial in how much traction control you want. It's like a yellow knob. What? So yeah, and I, I didn't use it because I'm not. I mean, it's not my car, and it was the first time I'd ever been at that track. So I'm not gonna, you know, write a huge check to Mercedes AMG when I when I eat it hard with the uh, traction control dialed down. I kept it. There, there's four driving modes, and I kept it in Sport Plus instead of Race. Okay. But I mean, all of this in a Mercedes, it's just not what I was accustomed to. That's really first of all, that's a whole lot of information for for this vehicle um, in, in a very short sentence a few sentences this sounds insane um the 911 is a revered vehicle because because of that versatility in the in the nameplate you know what i mean like it can be you can have a very normal 911 you can have a very um a a car that you can live with and want to go on long drives with you can have a very high performance 911 and this thing sounds like at least in terms of the gtr it sounds like that that high-end vehicle, that vehicle that you can you can take to the track, you can have a blast with, you can you can probably have a uh, a thorough you can you can thoroughly exp- explore the limits of of legal speed uh, very easily with this thing. What do you think? Is that is that a good way to describe it? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because um, I drove the GTR exclusively on the track. Okay. And uh, they had um, five-time DTM champion Bern Schneider there, who mm-hmm. he's he's retired now, but he works with AMG as a driving instructor. And the founder of the Driving Academy, AMG Driving Academy, was there as well. And uh, they were great in that they let us drive as quick as we were able to. It was very small groups on the track. It was a lead follow. We didn't have instructors in the car. But okay. um, the pace was extremely quick. Okay. And it really the, – the track at Paderborn, it used to be a British Army base. And it's mm-hmm. kind of built into a hill. And so there's a lot of challenging sections where you're unloading the suspension and then reloading it again in quick, quick success, succession. And okay. a lot of downhill – turns um basically you could really get the car out of shape if you want to so the track's challenging but it's not scary because at the speeds at which you're going you're not gonna you know you don't feel terrified in those areas there is a the long straight we were doing uh at the vend around 140 miles an hour which is very impressive into a long left-hand sweeper but Mm -hmm. uh the 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 version that we did drive on the street i mean we drove all of the versions but the one that's closest to the gtr is called the gtc and that is just a little bit less power than the GTR, and it doesn't have the active aero, but it has the same adaptive suspension. It has the uh, a similar look. Uh, the wing is a little bit less aggressive, and it's it, in terms of just you know hauling around on two lane roads in, in rural Germany or hitting the autobahn. I mean, we had it up to 170 miles an hour cruising, which is incredible. And the car had so much left in reserve. I believe it's tops out around 198 or wow. 100. Yeah, it's 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 a whole lot of car, but 
it felt extremely comfortable, just like you said. This is a car that you could drive every day, and um, what I found intriguing about that is if you look at the AMG GTR, we're going to put some pictures (laughs) up. We're going to put some pictures up uh, on the new host so you can see how aggressively styled the car is. This is not a car for shrinking violets, and I think the 911 – is so ubiquitous, it mm-hmm. almost blends into the background at this point when you're I think talk- I agree with you 100%. People, when you say, oh, a 911 can do that, people will go like, yeah, but it's a 911, it looks like that. It yeah, it's like- it's it's a car that's almost become a uniform for success, and that's fine. Uh, it's not to detract from the styling, but there's when you look at a 911, even if you're looking at a turbo, which is way more out there than, say, a, a Carrera or, a, or even a GTS, you know, it doesn't really have that wow factor. It's more of a, it's more, it gets the nod, you know, like, oh yeah, <laughs> I acknowledge that this car is, is an incredible performer and, uh, and you know, you, you're aware of the price tag. But when you look at the GT, even the base GT, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like it's snarling at you all the time. <laughs> if, if you park that in the, in the lot at work, I think it's a nice way to straddle the line between an anonymous consumption yeah. and, and having a car that looks great but doesn't make your employees feel like crap when they walk from their own cars into the building, it's it's not so over the top like an SLS with a gullwing. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a re- it strikes a really nice balance. Well, I mean, in terms of design, I see where I can kind of see the lineage of of the Mercedes, you know, the the rear wheel drive Mercedes coupes and, and roadsters. I see a lot of the the SL. But the SL has been has been has looks a little old these days. So they kind of like it feels like it's been like given a youthful vibe, a, a dip into the fountain of youth, and hit the gym. It looks really tough in that way. Uh, but I also found it to. I mean, I've never, I haven't driven one, not yet. I think I get to drive one next month. But it always seems really intimidating. That low, th- those first of all, those giant wheels, that low stance, and that just that shape in general makes it look like it's it's built for uh performance and if you're not ready for it you you i mean at least i i it looks intimidating in that sense i want to know if this car is easy to drive or if not and if that dial you mentioned is it does it give you control or does it take it away from you you know what i mean in terms of uh, in terms of pushing this vehicle well i mean i didn't use it so i can't say mm-hmm. but it does it does it's it's not like an on off switch you know how gm has ptm performance traction management for the 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 V-series Cadillacs and the the mm-hmm. Corvette, uh, and that gives you five different. You know, it has on off, but it also has sport. And then if you go into PTM, you can have five different levels of traction mm-hmm. control past sport. It's kind of the same idea, except instead of using a menu, you're going to be using a dial. Uh, and I think it's to allow you to really kind of get comfortable with the car and, and feeling the car move around underneath you on the track. Cause the car does move around and it is very wide. That's something that I noticed both on the track and on the street, especially the GTC and the GTR. They're actually, I think 2.2 inches wider at the rear for a wider track. And mm-hmm. it, on small streets in Germany, it's, it's, it's unavoidable to uh, not, you, you can't not be aware <laughs> of how big <laughs> the car is. And that's, that's another way it's different from the uh, 911, which doesn't really have that same feel. Uh, what about in terms of presence? I mean, this car looks good. Um, AMGs also have a very a very distinct sound signature. Can you tell me this thing carries that for? I mean, this is the original uh, that AMG motor, that four liter biturbo V8 that they've been using in everything, and everyone goes, "Oh, it sounds so good." It does I think sound very this good. This should be this should be the 
the Halo, the example, right? It does sound very good, especially we had a Roadster version of the GT uh, GTC, and that was I- extremely loud um, and <laughs> and pleasing. And, but you know, we when driving the the coupe version of the GTC, there were children who ran up to us on the street and like <laughs> chattered at us in German. I had no idea what they were saying, but they were super into the car. And it happened more than once, and I saw it happening to other people on the drive. So the car is definitely eye catching. It's definitely an attention getter. Uh, I don't know if it's a showstopper. It's it's not an exotic, but it, it it's an approachable car, and people want to find out more about it. Very cool. Uh, any any more impressions uh, that you want to share about this car? Would you, if, if let's say you had a hundred and uh, I don't know fifty thousand dollars, would you be able to? Would you recommend it? I would recommend uh, anyone who's in the market for that that price range of car what, to, to. What's drive the rest it. of the market? Well, the rest of the market is as mentioned before the nine eleven. Uh, like although, a turbo, I suppose. I think the turbo is actually more expensive. Wow. I think you're getting the, the 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 AMG is a bargain if you're shopping based on power. Okay. Uh, I think the R8 is in there as well when you're mm-hmm. starting to look at that level of price uh, in terms of both price and performance. They're comparable. I don't know if you want to. If you're looking at the track and the GTR, you have to also be looking at the Corvette Z06, which I, is I, much more affordable. Well, yeah, I saw an interesting video uh, recently where uh, the guy who set the ring record for the GTR, like its best time, he drove it back to back with the Z06 and they were extremely close. So um, it all comes down to whether someone who's shopping at AMG is interested in kind of a domestic name nameplate. That's that's a very different issue, I think. But from a performance perspective, they're close to each other. Okay. Um, it seems like a really impressive vehicle. The photos of this thing, um, every time I see a photo of it, I'm, I'm taken, I'm taken away. I mean, well, honestly, I think it's a, it's a sharp vehicle. And all the examples we drove were painted, uh, green hell magno, which is, <laughs> which is a very, very lime arresting green color. And that's a, that's a standard color. That's not like a personalization option that you have to pay a bajillion dollars extra for and wait some extra time on. I don't think so, no. Uh, the GTCs, on the other hand, um, they're only making 50 coupes and 50 roadsters for 2018 oh. for North America. Okay. And we drove, those were in a special flat black, flat gray kind of livery. Okay. And uh, they're not on sale yet. They're going on sale very soon in the fall. Uh, there's going to be 1,000 worldwide. I also see some. Um, I also saw some of these cars at the at your event. I think at your event, um, in almost it's not a flat yellow, but it kind of looks like a flat yellow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is this? I, am I? It's, I didn't find it to be flat. They're, the only yellow okay. cars we had were were pretty bright. I think it was something like solar yellow or something of, of that nature. It seems to be tough to photograph then because it looks a little flatter in in, in digital representation. Than well, it was it is a little first. dreary, so that might <laughs> that might have okay. had something to do with it. Very cool. Um, now, I imagine after that, you you guys took off to the Frankfurt Motor Show, which occurred last week, which is a very interesting um, motor show. It switches every year with the Paris Motor Show. So this year, we're in you're in Frankfurt. Is that how it went? It, it, well, I did attend it. If that's the, if okay. that's your question, I'm not responsible for for the rotating dates, though. I can't I can't claim that. <laughs> that's not what I was meaning, but I mean the Frankfurt Motor Show in general. Every year, it it, it comes to Frankfurt every other year while the the off year is the Paris Motor Show. Um, yeah, I think that that's correct. It's like it's like <laughs> Tokyo, where where they have uh, it, it has every two years. But I, you know what's weird about Tokyo is that there's no like sister show that trades off with it. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happens. 
um, and the Frankfurt Motor Show is uh, is considered to be a pretty big show, if I'm mis- if I'm not mistaken. Can you give any impressions on how big or how small that is? Because I've never been yet, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it one one year. It seemed large. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time exploring it. I had a lot of work to do that week, okay. so I can't really speak to that. All right. Um, while you were at the Frankfurt Motor Show, I, I I got to drive the new Lexus flagship sedan. Now I can't tell you how it drives yet, but I can tell you that it's a very funky um, sedan um, with a lot of technology and um, some really striking style, which is um, a breath of fresh air in this class because uh, the, the the full size sedan, uh, luxury sedan or flagship sedan, whatever however you want to describe this vehicle, um, they're kind of boring looking cars let's i I gotta be honest the 7 series the a8 the mercedes s-class all very good cars but they don't leave this impression of going whoa what is that and the lexus really does that and they've been doing that for a while because they have such um such a distinct such a distinct design language Uh, i think i'm gonna let you stand on your own with that particular opinion on the ls it, some people do definitely call it fussy or busy, uh, the exterior design, but um, I'm, a, I'm among the, the, the folks who say that if you're going to spend a lot of money on one of these cars, uh, you would like it to make somewhat of a statement, and you do that with this car. Well, here's, here's what I'll say about the LS. I'm glad there's a new one because the old one was pretty old. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now, this car comes with a twin-turbo V6, um, and it can come with a hybrid. This is unlike the LC, which comes with a V8 and a hybrid. Um, I'll tell you how those two motors react uh, next week, if you can hold on to it for that long. Um, but what are we going to talk about now? Well, I'll tell you that the things that, that blew me away was the amount of technology it had. It had one of the biggest head-up displays I've ever seen. Um, and the way it's projected is not just like, it's not just, sometimes it's just like on the hood and it's very, it's actually kind of low for a head-up display. This is like, they, they describe it as being three meters ahead of you, which is a very interesting way of describing it, but it's, it's right. It's right in front of your, you and on the car. Um, the thing they, as much as they put really cool technology in it, it still has one of the worst infotainment systems in the business. Um, the Lexus remote touch makes you want to throw, um, like throw a fit. Honestly, it's the worst. Um, I think, I think, I think we might want to stop you there because we should probably get in depth on this on the next show when we when we can talk about it. Okay, so this was just a teaser. You like that? I, I do like it, but it's getting <laughs> me too excited, and I'm worried that we're going to break embargo, and then we're not going to be able to publish this podcast, and then I'm just going to be locked in a room and berated. Um, by, Le- by Lexus, yeah. By whoever, to be honest. It doesn't even <laughs> matter anymore. Okay, so my dear listener, I'm, I'm going to have to let you know. But what – I'll have to let you know how the Ellis did next week. But I will admit – I also got to drive something a little less luxurious, but equally fun. Uh, that's the Mazda CX-3, which is a subcompact crossover that starts under 20 grand. And I'm telling you, it's weird for me to describe just a simple, cheap little car like this. Sorry, I don't want to say cheap, but affordable car. Um, it's cheap. One of those. It's cheap. One of those words that just in, in ignites the passions of automakers. Yeah, I think it does. I don't think people really like things being called cheap because they think of materials being cheap. When in reality, the car is very affordable. It's it's that to me is is the definition of the word cheap. But to not to everybody, I guess. Um, I absolutely love this car. I think it looks great. Uh, it looks way better than its price tag would indicate. Uh, Mazda has one of the best design languages in the business. It scales very very well. 
Um, and, and what I mean by that is from a big vehicle to a small vehicle, from a sedan to a crossover, from a coupe to a four-door. It looks, it, the, the way they design cars is very cohesive. It's very gorgeous. It's eye-catching. And um, I don't know how they do it, but it's one of the few automakers that have just such a good-looking car in every segment. Um, and this is no different. What they did to this car, though, is they, one thing in Canada, which uh, where I am, where I got the tester, they now offer it with a six-speed manual transmission in the base model, um, which is very enjoyable to use. In fact, I had a lot of fun changing gears in this car, which is, which is kind of weird because other vehicles in this class either come with a CVT, which is really boring to drive, or a much more fuel efficient um, my, or a fuel minded automatic, and having you can actually own- you can actually get the uh, sorry to interrupt, but the, the Jeep uh, Renegade comes with a manual. It can come with a manual as well. Okay, cool. Um, it, that's that's very interesting, and uh, I, I'm imagining it's kind of rare in this class. Well, it's it's it for the Renegade. It's weird because there's two engine options. I believe it's the 1.4 liter turbo and the 2.4. Uh, yeah, the 2.4 naturally aspirated. Yeah. And the 1.4, when it was released in any case, was only available with a manual transmission. It was the only way you could get it. Okay, but then you've got to deal with that that usual small displacement turbo charged engine, the, the kind of character traits that come with that. I and, guess so, uh, but it's, it's... Some people like that because it means you get torque nice and low, but there's sometimes a little bit of lag, you know what I mean? Well, the, the kind of the weird thing, too, was they had similar power, if you were to look at these two right. engines. Right, yeah, but the torque was different. yeah. But back to this Mazda. This Mazda has a very smooth linear engine. It's a naturally aspirated 2-liter. Uh, it makes under 150 horsepower. But the gearing of this manual transmission was just on point. I mean, I, I never felt like it was slow, which is so rare for a subcompact car. Ben, you've got to agree with me. I mean, the the last time you've driven something a small car um, with net, without a turbo... Um, did you, didn't you feel like, oh, this is, it, it feels like a penalty ba- box. And I'm this- trying to, I'm trying to remember the last time I drove a small car that didn't have a turbo. <laughs> like okay. it just seems like that's a hard thing to do these days. Maybe it was, uh, no, you know, I was going to say the base cruise, but I think the base cruise is turbo <laughs> now turbo too. As well. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to get at is that this Mazda, like I said, is a breath of fresh air. It was such a joy to drive and the dynamics are, are just on point. Uh, and the way they've done that is they've, they've added a new technology called G vectoring control. Oh, here um, comes here I'm comes sorry. the marketing. <laughs> it's not marketing it. I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe it's marketing. It's a name for something. Um, and basically, what this car does, it limits torque on on in certain um, scenarios. And that, what that does is it puts it shifts the weight forward onto the for, onto the front wheels of the uh, of the car and adds a tiny bit more feedback, feel, traction, um, and just responsiveness. Um, when you're driving this car, and I is this all-wheel drive models or front-wheel drive models or all, all all models, all models, which is really cool. So is and, it a, is it a differential or how does it work? No, basically it's a it's a software that uh, whenever you I suppose when you are about to, you know how when you're approaching a turn no, normally most people would hit the brakes and then hit, and then turn um, in everyday driving um, that's that's the I guess the sequence of events. Um, and when you hit the brakes, basically what you're doing is you're shifting the weight onto that front wheel. You're slowing down for the turn. You start to turn. Uh, you you kind of recognize how the car is reacting to the turn, whether or not it's going to make the turn or where you have to apply more steering or less steering. So what happens in this situation is as you're turning, the car kind of limits the torque, not not brakes, the, not hits the brake, but limits the torque, the engine torque, so that 
the weight shift forward and you complete that feedback loop a little bit quicker and you can get a better understanding of what the car is doing. It's a very subtle thing that probably no one would figure out in, in regular everyday driving, but it's the one thing I would describe uh, if I was going to say how this car feels and how much fun it is to drive. It's got to be one of the major elements of it because I can't think of, there's only one other car in this class that's as much fun to drive and that's the um, Nissan Juke, which is a turbocharged four-cylinder um it's almost it's more of a coupe than it is a crossover there's another vehicle that's available with a manual transmission now that That, now that i think about it that's right but like i said it's almost more of it's hard to describe that thing as a very functional crossover because it has such a limited amount of space the rear seats are 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 practically useless okay Um, it's interesting that you say that i don't disagree but mm -hmm. i have to say the rear seats in the um CX3? CX3 are also next to useless. Next to useless, I agree. Uh, but the I would put trucks, them on on par with the Juke. They're slightly better than the Juke. That's that's what I found. But they can be. Um, it definitely, if the people in the front seat move their seats back, you're into your the, the rear seats are a tough place to be in. But the the trunk space is much bigger, and the foldable rear seats. Uh, when you fold those rear seats down, you get a lot of space in in total. I feel like both the Juke and the CX-3 are vehicles that are not aimed at families. Okay. Um, these are very, you know, couple-oriented or singles who who want a hatchback and they want it on stilts for whatever reason. Maybe mm-hmm. they feel like they've been brainwashed into thinking all-wheel drive is absolutely necessary. And I think that's who's buying these vehicles. I don't think that necessarily it's the most practical choice mm-hmm. or even a new choice. I think it's just an old choice presented in a different way. Okay. I can see where you're coming from with that. Definitely if the family-oriented choice is like something from the, the Honda HRV or the Toyota CHR. Right. Even the the HRV is is way bigger. Is for sure. Oh, yeah. It has a ton of space. In fact, I noted that the, C, the CX-3 has less space than, say, the Honda Fit, like a subcompact car um, in, in comparison. Uh, yeah. the, well, the Fit's kind of crazy, though, with the magic seat and all that. I mean, they, they really went all true. out to make sure it was practical inside. That's true. But um, the HRV is really spacious. It's just a bore to drive. It's boring to look at. It's um, The interior is does not feel like anything special. Uh, and that's my opinion based on driving some of these, other, these cars around. It, but it's a great purchase if you don't care about any of these things. And you just want a, a practical, uh, affordable crossover. And, and the CX-3 is, more, is far more oriented to somebody who is... Uh, enjoys driving, likes the styling of a car, um, and and doesn't want to feel like the driving penalty box. Now, would you would you recommend a CX3 over a Mazda 3 hatch? Uh, uh, absolutely not. Um, the CX3 can come with with a, a lot of technology, and it can come with all-wheel drive. But that manual transmission that I mentioned pretty much disappears the moment you get uh, a higher trim level. Um, Americans can't even get that manual transmission, so it's 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 limited in its versatility or its uh, its audience. While the Mazda 3 seems to have so much more going for it, you can get it with these great two-tone seats. You can get it with a lot of technology, um, and it's a very sleek and fun to drive car as well. But you can also get it with a 2.5 liter four-cylinder, which is extra extra power. I, and I think I really that's good. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's so interesting that these companies are making these vehicles, and yet they already have better vehicles in their lineup. Hmm. And it's really a, a market-driven um, product. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a reaction, right? It's a people reaction are buying. Thing. Yeah, people are buying them because people people are buying SUVs and so these SUVs are being created and it's not necessarily because they're better. It's just because it's what people want. And it's kind of a weird rabbit hole to go down. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. 
Um, but I want to swing it back your way. Um, and I want to hear a little bit more about what happened in Frankfurt. Uh, you were taught, you were with Mercedes and they, I, it just occurred to me that Mercedes had one of the hottest reveals of the show. Um, you're going to have to help me out with the name because I don't think I quite understand it. The project one. Yeah. They went a little called? Mercedes went a little crazy. I mean, it's, you know, the Germans, it's their home show. They like to impress and so Mercedes brought out a vehicle that they had done a very good job of keeping a secret uh, in terms of details and styling and, and all of that good stuff. It's it's the Mercedes AMG Project 1, and it's the first, as they call it, hypercar that the company has ever built. Mm-hmm. And now a hypercar, a lot of people, I don't know if there's a if there's a we, if there's a designation what's a hypercar, but it te- it tends to be a car that costs about a million dollars has. M- maybe more than a thousand horsepower or around a horse a thousand horsepower does that seem about right and it's also a car that has both electric and gasoline uh, elements so like uh, a hybrid is the best way well, to say it i don't know why i didn't say that earlier <laughs> i think i think some hypercars are hybrids and some aren't i mean the the bugatti doesn't make hybrid hypercars right. the but pagani is not one either and yeah that's definitely a hypercar but in terms of price and power i mean you're spot on the the project one is going to be it is 2.75 million i think roughly wow. if you do the, if you do <laughs> <Okay>. the conversion <laughs> and they're building around 300 and they've all been sold so if you okay. wanted one and you're listening to this podcast i'm breaking your heart i'm sorry you're not going to be able to buy one this should have uh, taken a nap last week they're going to be de- they're going to be delivered in 2019 but okay. when they brought it out on stage at frankfurt they did this whole big hullabaloo about it the night before the show and uh the car was driven on stage by lewis hamilton uh, and the reason that happened is because much of the technology that's in that car is adapted from the petronas F- formula one team Okay. And you had mentioned a hybrid drivetrain. So this car has a 1.6 liter, I believe, V6. What? Combi- Sorry, yes. I didn't mean to yell that. Uh, One, it's a 1.6 liter V6, <laughs> and it's it, it's paired with four electric motors. Okay, so that's that's all kinds of that's all kinds of industry. I don't know. I don't want to call them industry first, but like, have you ever heard? First of all, normally a hypercar comes with something bizarre like a V8 or something else. Um, it comes with uh, a much higher displacement motor, uh, not 1.6 liter. 1.6 Mercedes doesn't have anything like that in their current range in the in North America. Uh, no, which is which is, but but think think about it, Sammy. This is a Formula One car you can drive on the road. But it's Formula a direct One lift. Get, get dismantled at the end of each race. They they get fixed up and and redone and rebuilt all those engines right how can they make uh i'm not sure if that's what i don't know what the spec allows in terms of rebuilds but i can tell you that this is almost a direct port from from the patronus car and it's it's kind of what helps differentiate mercedes-benz or sorry mercedes amg from the current crop of you know the 918 spider and and those types of vehicles because those cars are straight up production cars and this car has genuine racing heritage built into it yeah, you're right. The LaFerrari and the McLaren P1, those use regular conventional – I mean, I don't want to call them regular conventional engines, but they are essentially V8s that you that are in other vehicles, while this is a 1.6-liter uh, turbocharged V6 that has more in common with its race car than it does uh, a regular production car. Is that and it is, the best it is way putting, to describe it? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's all-wheel drive, and it's got uh, two engines up front, one engine at the rear. I'm talking about the, the electric motor, sorry. Two yeah. motors up front, a motor at the rear, and has a th- uh, the fourth motor actually spins the turbocharger. 
So, um, cool. is that yeah, considered it's, an electric turbocharger then, or is that something else? No, it's an electric motor powering the turbocharger, okay. but it is the same setup you would see in a Formula One car. Wow. So it's, it's, I mean, minus the all-wheel drive, obviously that's something that Mercedes has added to the streetcar. What I found interesting too is the styling of the car is really evocative of both <laughs> yeah. the the past and the and the the present in terms of racing. I mean, the front end of the car looks a lot like a McLaren F1. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's a car that hails from the mid '90s mm-hmm. in terms of design. It really and set a standard in terms of uh, supercars, hypercars. How would you? I don't know. It set a well, standard. Well, it was. It was. Really. <laughs> there was nothing like it when it yeah. came out, right? I mean, it was, there was nothing even close. <laughs> and um, the it, it, it's the front end, the air scoops, and kind of the profile that really kind of call to mind the the McLaren. But then at the rear of the car, you have this shark fin mm-hmm. that extends from almost the midpoint of the vehicle to the rear, and that makes me think of a Le Mans prototype. You know how they all have that arrow. Right, right. I totally see that, um, and I think that's that's so cool. So there's so much more in this than. But Mercedes doesn't have a lot of Le Mans prototype. They don't have a Le Mans prototype at all. No, but, I guess but they're, it's... they're bringing to mind. The, yeah, the this is heritage, a right? it's a closed cockpit car, right? Like they, they can't the the F1 stuff is in the mechanicals and the styling can't really look. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, the current crop of F1 cars aren't that great looking. Uh, <laughs> the aero is pretty weird and wacky, and there's a lot going on. So I think Mercedes wanted to make a very big statement with the car uh, visually, but I think that they wanted to not go over the top, and I think they managed to succeed with that. I, I agree with you here. This is this is really neat. Um, there's another one of these kind of hybrid, uh, I mean, pr- uh, Formula One-inspired hypercars in the way. It's from Aston Martin. They've called it the Valkyrie or the Project Valkyrie. Yes. I'm not quite sure. And I can see these two cars really duking it out in the future. Ho- who knows if that's the case? I think r- maybe oh, rich people will be just packing these things up and holding on to them. I think it's 100% the case. It's really interesting that you bring up the Valkyrie because when Mercedes brought the Mercedes Pro- AMG Project 1 onto the stage, it had the word concept after it. Mm-hmm. And in talking with Mercedes officials during the course of the show, the, the car is essentially a production vehicle. The <laughs> one that we saw is what it will look like. It, it's what it will be powered by, et cetera, et cetera, when it goes on sale, or sorry, when it gets delivered in 2019. But the, the where, where the difference, where the wiggle room exists is in final power st- uh, and um, uh, performance statistics, the top speed, the, the output of the engine, et cetera, et cetera. And they're yeah. waiting for Valkyrie. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. They're going to let Valkyrie publish first because I think that vehicle hits customers. I think they get it sooner. And once that's up, you'll see the Project 1 will be like one to two miles an hour faster and like <laughs> 20 horsepower more. No question in my mind. <laughs> um, I think I agree with you. And on the other end of the spectrum, the Frankfurt Motor Show introduced another real, another cool car, um, but not a production car, a concept car from Honda. They called it the Urban EV concept. Um, and the first look on this, it it evokes like a, it, it reminds me of an older Civic, maybe a first gen Civic. And some people see a little bit of the rabbit in there. So what I'm trying to say is it's a, it's a hatchback. It's a small city centric hatchback. It's, yeah, um, instead of the CVCC, you have the EVCC. <laughs> yes, the EVCC. I like that. Um, and um, it is a, it is a utterly adorable car, and it just really captured everyone's attention in our office, which is uh, is rare. I mean, I think there's a lot of people in our in our on, at least on my team that skew towards being only interested in things like the AMG Project One. 
Um, but this is, it just looks like a Pokemon on wheels, but in not a weird way. It looks like a really friendly, approachable way. Um, something that will be smaller than the Honda Fit. Um, and it'll be packing in electric powertrain. Um, I don't think there's any, yeah, there's no mileage or, or suggestion on how much power that this thing would make. Um, and there's only a, a very brief, like one photo of the interior, which is basically a giant screen on a dashboard. Um, and there's also, there's also no plans to sell it in North America. If it was to be production, I suppose. Or have they agreed that they're going to be a, a production vehicle? Oh, yes, it I, is. A future a production. production. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And we will not be seeing it, unfortunately. That is too bad. Um, it's kind of weird because, I mean, Honda doesn't have an EV right now, do they? Is there anything in the Honda lineup? You, you, it doesn't count, but they recently <laughs> revealed the Clarity. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Because the Clarity EV is kind of junk. <laughs> it has about a hundred miles of range, um, maybe less, and uh, and I don't think people are really into it, and it seems to be kind of expensive for what it offers. Yeah, it's. I mean, it kind of feels like almost an afterthought compared to the to the fuel cell car that they have. Now, Honda also like earlier this year at CES they revealed a a concept that was similar to this urban EV concept, but it was called the New V, I believe, um, and it introduced something called. Uh, the Honda Automated Network Assistant, which I hate saying out loud, um, and they, even worse, I hate the acronym, which is HANA. Uh, Honda is so good with our acronyms, as you noted earlier. Earth Dreams. <laughs> and VTEC and CVCC and all those other uh, acronyms in there. Um, which, Anyways, HANA is one of those uh, digital concierge or AIs that are um, similar to Cortana or Siri or Google. Um, and it's supposed to learn your the owner's habits and detect their emotions, which I don't know if I'm ready for this future yet. No, no um, one is. <laughs> and except I don't the robots. Except the robots who don't have emotions. Yeah, and I don't know what that means for buyers, but uh, this is something that a lot of automakers are are bringing up these days. That your your car needs a digital assistant, um, and it needs to be able to understand what's wrong with you. Uh, assume there's something doesn't. wrong with you. And I, I mean, don't. We think don't. That's, I don't think that's right. I, I mean, I just want to drive a car sometimes, don't I? Yeah, we don't need. I don't need my car to duplicate functionality of the phone that's already in my pocket, and that's that seems to be a major stumbling block for automakers. This is they want. They have this me too mentality uh, in terms of piling on to existing technology, and I think that the idea of your car as an appliance that does absolutely everything in your life just seems to be missing the point of what a car actually is. Right. I mean, I want to get into a car and get somewhere. I don't know if I want to get into a car and it tell me where I need to go um, because it's connected to my Google calendar or it's connected to my uh, my work calendar or it's connected to my Facebook or my Twitter or something like no. that and be like, and, oh, you know, your friends are doing this over here. You want to go over there? And I'm like, no, I, I'm not and, into that. And it's like, oh, it seems like you're, you're feeling a little lonely. Would you like to go to the movies and have some alone time? I've... I've called ahead to your favorite. Is that what you do with the movies, Sammy? Is is are movies alone time? First of all, there are other people in that theater. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm not like interacting with them. You know what I mean? Are you? Are you not I, interacting with them? I, I gorge in some popcorn and some snacks without anybody judging me. It's and then of... go home and hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Assuming the car will let me go home. But you know, it's <laughs> like I don't ask my fridge to gauge my emotions. It's like my fridge is like, hey, Ben. It seems like there's not enough chocolate in your fridge, and that would raise your endorphin levels and maybe make you a better person. You know, like yeah. we, we already have these avenues for technology to intervene in our lives in such a way, and it just seems like cars have become the focal point 
for stuff we don't really need. Right. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Um, uh, the the photos of this of this Honda in the grill and next to the Honda emblem is a word, your favorite word. Hello. Um, and apparently the car will be able to talk through its grill to other people. I don't know if I want that either. Do you want a talking car? Is your car a pet? No, I mean, my car is – as passionate as I am about cars, it is ultimately a machine that I own, and it, it performs a task. Um, and I don't need to have a relationship – first of all, I don't need to have an artificial relationship with my car based on what some programmatic algorithms think I would find pleasing in terms of interaction. Right. Imagine. we'll be, Or we'll be happy so often that we'll never know what sadness is thanks to our vehicles, knowing all of our emotions and thinking ahead of us. That one day when we figure out another emotion, like sadness, we'll be so we'll be so confused. And then one day someone will have a super sad feeling and it will paralyze the entire neural net. Yeah. It's so it's such a foreign sensation. And then we'll be back to like, you know, gr- uh, drying out strips of venison on some abandoned superhighway <laughs> while we wear leather clothes that will last us the rest of our lives climbing up the side of an abandoned skyscraper. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I'm looking forward to that future now that you mention it. <laughs> um, I think that's it. That's all the cool stuff that um, I want to talk about. Next week, I'll have to talk to you about the new Lexus. I also drove a BMW i8, which we've covered pretty extensively in the past. Um, but I have a different approach to this um, to this conversation. I think I'm going to, where me and Ben will, will think about the future and what the i8 um predicted or i never think about the future it's the key to my eternal happiness like we were just talking about right you obviously aren't going to your robot happiness seminars are you oh i'm not of course not and wow, you've uh, been, all those lies all those all those incorrectly filled out surveys honestly, about your happiness. i just go downstairs or go to this thing i sit outside the door and i just play on my phone watching youtube channels you know i mean youtube videos you know just kill some time till this uh the, the class and put that in quotation marks is over <laughs> Wow. Um, and Ben, do you have anything uh, anything cool coming up? I do not. I have nothing cool. My life is a void. Okay. And <laughs> but I do want to. Uh, you do want to share something cool. Uh, how about that new site that we've got? Yeah. So we moved over from SoundCloud. We're no longer. I mean, all the old episodes are still there. But if you're subscribing to us based on our RSS or iTunes or Google Play, um, this you, it'll be a seamless transition. Uh, we're using a new host, and it allows us to provide more information with each episode. We can put pictures up. We can talk a little bit in between episodes on the site as well. So if you go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Bang, it's right there. All of our old episodes are there too. We're going to be adding information to each of the older episodes as well. Uh, Pictures, photos, videos, links, things we weren't able to do on SoundCloud. Mm -hmm. So it'll kind of make it a a richer experience. We can uh, also direct you if we have guests on. We can provide links to where you can find out more about them and read their work. And uh, it's going to be a better experience overall, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, if you're already subscribed, you're not going to notice any difference. If you're on iTunes, there's an iTunes subscription. Or if you're not on iTunes, I'm sorry. There's a subscription link right there on the page as soon as you click. So um, it's a much better solution to getting our voices into your brain. It's uh, it's much more elegant, too. I love it. I love the idea that we'll be able to put all of our uh, photos and put some more thoughts in there, maybe some captions, uh, allow some more comments. Uh, we look forward to hearing your feedback and uh, what you think of this new design. Uh, on the other hand, you can also still find us on Facebook at uh, Unnamed Automotive Podcast over there. If you just search for it, you'll find us. Um, in addition, 
If you want to get in touch with either Ben or I, I uh, you can do it very easily through Twitter. You can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin. That's the at sign, and then the word hunting, and then his name Benjamin. Benjamin. Oh, I almost botched that. Benjamin. Benjamin. And me, on the other hand, you can find me at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing at me, or like I did several times through this podcast. Um, and and I'd also like to point out that this is episode 37 of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, which means there's probably close to 45 hours of us talking at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com now. So uh, that's, well, I mean, that's a lot of chatter, and it's all waiting for you to be discovered. I'm sorry, waiting for you to discover if you haven't listened to our older podcast. And if you're uh, someone who's been with us from the beginning, thank you very much. Yes, yeah, much appreciated. We're almost coming up on our, are we on our one-year anniversary now? I think it's a couple months away, but we're okay. very close. We're getting close. I'm very excited about that. Um, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, everybody.